I'm going to read one verse out of Hebrews 13, verse 3. And uh, this morning I want to talk to you, I'll read that in just a second. I want to talk to you about the persecuted church. And I, uh, my aim is twofold in this. It's, I have twofold aim in this, talking to you about this this morning. I want you to remember the persecuted church so that you will be taken up much in bold, radical, passionate prayer for brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. Not just around the world, but, but that's my, what's in my mind, especially today. And the second thing in my aim this morning is that you would take courage from their lives to take up your cross and follow Jesus here and now. Hebrews 13.3 says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. We need your grace. We need your spirit to come and be our teacher. For this verse I find very hard to remember as though with them, those mistreated, those in prison, those who had a family member just killed. But Lord, that's your exhortation to us this morning from this verse. And we want to do this. So God, I ask you to help this morning. We want to be faithful. We want to think about, remember, love, pray for, our brothers and sisters around the world, those for whom Jesus died and suffered on the cross and rose again to save. And God, we also want to look at their lives and be strongly encouraged and take courage. No matter what we may face, which is probably not anything like some others face around the world, but whatever we face, that we take courage to follow Jesus, to take up our cross every day. Deny ourselves and follow him. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and be our teacher and hover over this place and breathe your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian persecution is not the exception, it's the norm. From the book of Acts all the way to today, it is, normal, it is a normal part of the Christian life in this world. In fact, America is kind of an anomaly. It is not the norm, what we've experienced for the last two, three hundred years here with a relatively, at times, very Christian-friendly culture. And pretty much up until here recently, it's still relatively friendly toward Christian values and the Christian faith. But obviously that, it's not hard to see how even our once Christian-friendly culture in, in America is fading at warp speed and is being replaced with an openly hostile posture toward Christ and his truth. When I say hostile, I don't mean physically hostile, at least not yet, but nevertheless hostile toward Christ and toward the truth. One only has to look at a court case this last week where a Christian baker had to pay $135,000 in damages to a homosexual couple who wanted them to bake a cake for their Wedding ceremony. You've all heard probably back in November a video that was released where 
21 Egyptian Coptic Christians were marched to a beach in Tripoli, Libya, and executed. All their heads were cut off. We need to remember them and their families. That's what Hebrews 13.3 says. Last week, another video was released showing dozens of Ethiopian Christians. I think 15 in one and 15 in another, where some were marched out again to a beach and executed. Others in some kind of desert location uh, had a gun pointed to their head and were executed. What makes this all the more real is the fact that we're not only reading about these things in newspapers, which probably for a long time we've been getting reports that things like this are happening. Of course, it's, of course we have been. But that the fact that it's, on, it's in pictures and videos right before our eyes online. And ISIS, which is the Islamic State terror group who did these heinous things, has vowed to do the same to all, quote, Nazarenes, and people of the cross, in other words, you and I, um, people all around the world who are followers of Jesus Christ. So this is not something that is just isolated. It's not something that is distant from us in truth. It feels like it's distant because it's a long ways away geographically, but it is something that affects us because um, these are our brothers and sisters and because um, if certain groups would have their way, we would be next. In a report from January of this year from Open Door Ministries, Open Door, or Open Door Ministries is a ministry started by a guy named Brother Andrew. Anyone here ever read the book, um, God Smuggler? He, uh, I think 1955, he started this ministry, a young Dutchman who had a burden to bring Bibles into communist countries that were considered closed. They were closed door countries. He calls his ministry Open Doors Ministry. He says there's no closed doors. I remember hearing him in an interview say, there are no closed doors as long as you don't insist on coming back. Okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, Open Door Ministries in a, in, a, in a report in January of this year said more than 100 million Christians face the threat of daily persecution. Not that they're all persecuted daily, but they face the threat of daily persecution. Open Door Ministries defines persecution as facing strong social ostracism, economic pressures, physical abuse, imprisonment, or death. Just take two specific countries as examples. Uh, North Korea, which has been number one as the most hostile to Christians for the last 15 years, according to Open Door Ministries. In North, North Korea, 50 to 70,000 Christians are in labor camps with no prospect of ever getting out. And the remaining two to 300,000 Christians that are in North Korea face the constant threat of the same thing since Christianity is outlawed by the government there. And so Hebrews 13.3 says, remember them. In Iraq, Christianity, which has existed for 2,000 years, is on the verge of extinction both from targeting Christians for execution and more than 140,000 Christians who have been forced to flee their homes and countries, country since particularly ISIS infiltrated last year. We should remember these brothers and sisters. Last Friday, uh, April 24, just, just two days ago, marked the 100-year anniversary of what historically is called the 
Armenian genocide. And remember a man named Berge? Some of you probably remember him. He spoke with us probably six or seven years ago a couple of times. Berge was an Armenian. He was, from, he, he was of Armenian descent. Um, the Armenian de- genocide is where the, the Ottoman Empire and the Turkish Muslims systematically um, targeted Christians uh, in what is present-day Turkey and killed two million of them. 1.5 million of them were, Ar- were Armenian Christians. Berge's father was the only one in his family who escaped. The genocide, or this, some have called this a Christ, the, the first um, of the 20, 20th century, the, a Christian holocaust, and this almost effectively emptied present-day Turkey of its Christian pop- population. But this honestly shouldn't fully surprise us that we read about things like this. For all of the apostles, and especially Paul, Luke shared earlier, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 11 or 12, 11, I think, goes through his list where he's saying, this is what it, here's my qualifications to be an apostle. And he went through all of the things that he suffered. They were all persecuted, all the apostles, and all except for John, the apostle John, were martyred for Christ. They were all killed for Jesus. Most famously, Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified upside down. He said, don't crucify me like my, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And our Lord himself, Jesus, purchased our salvation by being slaughtered as a sacrificial lamb on a cross. So what do we do? Well, Hebrews 13.3 tells us. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. I want to break that down very quickly. Remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. It's more than just sitting down and kind of giving a passing thought. It's to call to mind in order to respond to those in trouble, those in need. In this case, those persecuted. And why are we told to remember? Because we forget, right? I once heard somebody say, it was not in this context. I can't remember where I heard this. I should give credit to this person because I've said this many times. You probably have heard me say this at least a few times. The most important word in the New Testament is remember. Because we forget. Our lives are busy. Life is demanding. We have our own problems to contend with. And so we need to remember. But we need to remember in a particular kind of way. The writer of Hebrews says, remember as though you are there with them. Not in some distant, remote, semi-interested way. Not half-hearted. Not in a rigid kind of way. But as though you were there. I don't know about you, but I find this really challenging. But I want to do this. I really want to do this. Remember them, call them to mind as though you are sitting in the prison cell with them 
or as though you are sitting in their home wondering if someone's going to burst through the door with, you're sitting with them wondering if someone's going to burst through the door and take you off to prison or harm you. How often over the past year have you given serious thought? Not a passing thought, not a, th- not a two-minute prayer, but serious content. I'm not saying this to challenge you. I mean, this, this is challenging to me. How many times over the past year have you given serious contemplation to this? So remember those in prison, those, those mistreated, as though you are with them. And then it says this, since you are also in the body. I think this can mean one of two things. In the body can mean since you are also part of the body of Christ. Or I think it can also mean since you live in the world, you live in a physical body just like these people. I, I, don't, I think we could probably say it's both of these things. I think in the context here, it probably means the latter because the point is to remember them as though with them. As though you were present with them bodily. And you and I all know what it's like to experience pain, what it's like to be abused, even lightly abused, but to be abused, to experience loss. You and I know what it's like, even even if it's for a day or a night or for a few hours, to be displaced, to be out of, in a place you're not, where it's kind of disorienting and uncomfortable. And some here, probably not because you were facing someone who wanted to murder you, but some here know what it's like even to face death. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to specifically say, I want, we want to remember in this way as though with them, since we also are in the body, and we want to remember by praying. Remembering may lead us to do a number of different things, several different kinds of actions we could take, and it should lead us to do these things. I mean, Voice of the Martyrs is a great resource for how you can specifically jump in and get involved in serving very practically those who are persecuted around the world. Open Door Ministries is another, and there's probably many others. Today, however, I want to focus on what I would say is the best thing we can do, and that is to pray. The most effective way we can remember is by praying. Now, when I say that, I wonder if some people agree with me. Last Wednesday, I had planned on preaching on something different. Last Wednesday, though, I, I, I woke up, actually, I went to bed Tuesday night burdened just about this. Woke up Wednesday, the same thing, burdened about this. I got on my knees to pray, and I was like, man, I don't, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. I'm not even sure exactly how to pray. It's easy when you have someone in front of you, maybe not easy, but it's easier when you have someone in front of you, a situation where you can see the outcome of your prayers. When it's clear, when it's in a different country, in a different part of the world, it's just harder. So we need to, by faith, say that God calls us to pray. And God will use our prayers to accomplish 
great things for his people around the world, for our brothers and sisters around the world. So eight prayers for the persecuted church. Eight prayers for those who are being persecuted. And I want you to see these in the Bible. Wednesday morning as I was, as I was praying, the first thing I prayed was, Lord, I don't know what to pray. And I was reminded of eight, Romans 8 where it says, all of creation groans and we ourselves groan within us. We groan too. And then it goes on to say, and the spirit has been given to us to help us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray like we should. And I felt like the Lord brought to mind at least eight. I jotted eight down. And I want you to see from the Bible, this is how we pray. And we can pray with confidence because we see this is how God works in his word. So remember by praying, number one, remember by praying that the church would experience, experientially identify with those who are being persecuted. This is like before we even start maybe praying, is praying, Lord, help me know what it's like to be with them as though I was with them since I also live in the body. If we are to remember them as though in the body, then we need to know experientially, we need to experientially identify with these people. I need help with this and maybe you do too. I think this really requires us to think and imagine being with those mistreated and imprisoned. I mean, to, to think, to sit, you know, to, to remove other distractions and to sit and think and ask God to help us to feel and imagine what it's like to be with those mistreated. When a woman experiences a miscarriage, like many of you have, she has a grace to come around those other women going through similar troubles, similar difficulties. We should pray that God would enable us to get into the skin of these brothers and sisters who are imprisoned, who are abused, who are on the run, or who are in hiding or worse. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six says, When one member of the body suffers, all suffer. So remember, by praying that the church, I'm thinking you and I, the church here in the West perhaps, just think this church, we would experientially identify with those being persecuted. Number two, remember by praying for boldness and courage to continue speaking about Christ. In Acts chapter four, um, the John and Peter are brought before the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, because they were speaking about Jesus and they were warned and they were threatened. You stop speaking about Christ. Don't do it anymore or there's going to be big trouble for you. Peter and John were released. They went back to their brothers and sisters and they shared with them what happened and they prayed together. You know what they prayed? They prayed, oh God, look at their threats and grant us boldness to continue speaking with all boldness. They didn't ask for the pressure to be removed. I find that very instructing and challenging. 
They asked for boldness. The priority for them was not their own safety and security, but that they wouldn't cower in fear at the threats aimed at them. And what happened when they prayed this way? You know what, you know what happened, right? It says, after they prayed, the place where they were gathered began to shake. And the Spirit fell upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak with boldness. We should pray for our brothers and sisters who are being hunted, some of them being hunted like animals, to be bold, even in the face of the greatest pressure and incredible persecution. Number three, remember by praying that God would use persecution for the expansion of his church. Persecution is part of God's strategy. And I'm not misspeaking when I say that. I'm going to say it again. Persecution is part of God's strategy in the world for the advancing of the gospel. In fact, the Great Commission will not be completed without Christians going places where some of them, at least, will be killed. The only places where the gospel has not reached are places hostile to Christ and hostile to the gospel. So God's strategy is for his people to go where they most certainly will be persecuted and some, at least, even executed for Jesus. As um, an early church father named Tertullian said these words 1,800 years ago to his persecutors, he said this, Go on, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent. The oftener we are mown down, the more in number we grow. The blood of martyrs is the church's seed. History bears witness that this statement is true. Let me start with an example in the book of Acts and then turn your attention to two, or an example from history, fairly recent history. You remember the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, don't you? Stephen is a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and the, um, uh, the religious Jewish people were coming against him and they conspired and they spoke lies about him and stirred the people up against him. And <clears throat> Stephen was stoned to death. But it was part of God's strategy. It was part of God's plan. There was a great persecution after this, a widespread persecution on the Christians in Jerusalem, which scattered the church to the surrounding region. And what did they do? They were scattered and they preached the word wherever they went. This took Philip to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, and he was preaching the gospel everywhere he went. And Samaria was turned upside down, turned to Christ in large mass. And all of this was in fulfillment of what Christ spoke in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said this to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Up until this time, up until the stoning of Stephen, the church had stayed in Jerusalem and the area of Judea, the surrounding area there. This persecution 
was in fulfillment of Christ's prophecy that the church would be spread to Samaria and ultimately through the Apostle Paul and other disciples to the ends of the known earth. More recent example in history is the Chinese church. In 1949, when Mao Zedong came into power and um, the Cultural Revolution and all of that brought in communism, there were four million Christians. But before long, there were far fewer than that because they were targeted and systematic. there was a systematic effort to snuff out Christians under Mao. And even the intense persecution after Mao, he died, I think he died somewhere around 1975 or 76, even after his death, there was still, and even today, there is still intense persecution. So 4 million Christians, 1949, probably fewer than that in the 1950s. Some today say that there are upwards of 200 million Christians in China. Some believers who got out of prison camps after Mao died, got out. I have this book called Back to Jerusalem. It kind of goes through some of this history. Some of the Christians got out wondering if there were any Christians left in China, only to find that the church had grown exponentially in the most intense kind of persecution. We should pray. You and I should pray very deliberately. God, I pray that the blood that's being spilt in Libya and in Iraq and in North Korea would be used to expand exponentially the church in those places. Number four, we, remember, we need to remember by praying for the conversion of of the persecutors. I haven't seen a lot of it, but I have seen some, and it's very concerning to see the calls for to a Christian crusade to fight the heinous crimes that are being perpetrated, especially in the Middle East. I, I, I read... And, and I, I realize, I'm not trying to paint a broad, broad brush. I know this is isolated. This is limited when you see things like this. It is not representative of a large group of people, but it's very disturbing for people to call themselves Christians and say things like this. I'm not, we should just nuke the whole Middle East. It's crazy. It's insane. I'm not saying that we shouldn't long for these people to be stopped in any way by any means necessary, by military force if necessary. But we need to know that these persecutors of Christians are already under the judgment of God. God, it says in Romans 2, is storing up wrath for them on the day of wrath. It is already coming to them and we should pray that they would be saved from it. I wonder if you agree with that. There's a video online. Um, I'm not sure how long it's been out. I just saw it the other day, Friday, maybe Thursday. And it's titled, Who Would Dare to Love ISIS? A love, excuse me, a letter from the people of the cross. And it's a, it's a video specifically to 
members of ISIS, but it's one well worth watching for you and I. It is powerful. It is deeply moving, calling for Christians to give themselves to bring the gospel to these evil men. That's what they are. There once was a man who hated Christians and the Christian church. And he watched a man be stoned to death. And he sat as it was happening and gave hearty approval to it. He liked what he saw. I've never seen, I've never watched a video being, I guess there's videos out there you can watch of someone being stoned. I've heard it is incredible. I mean, I, I couldn't get myself to do it. I can't imagine ever seeing that happen and approving of it. It made an imprint on this man. It drove him with vehement hatred for Christians to abuse them and to kill them. He once said publicly, he said, it is my goal to, or excuse me, he said his goal was to destroy the church of Christ. That was his goal. Do you know who this man was? The man he witnessed being stoned was Stephen. This man of whom I speak is none other than Saul of Tarsus, who later became the apostle Paul. Right? Paul, on on the way to Damascus, as he is continuing his murderous rage against Christians and against the church, and wanted them put in prison or killed, wanted the church destroyed, struck down, hated Jesus, hated the message, hated Christians, hated the church. On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. He met Christ. Uh, particularly, and I, I know I keep mentioning this group, and it's because they're in the news, I suppose, but this is what the terror group ISIS is all about. They have declared war on people of the cross, Christians. Who's to say there is not a Paul among them? Who's to say there's not many Timothys among them? We should remember the persecuted church by praying for their captors to be converted to Christ. Um, there's a book about uh, called The Heavenly Man about a guy named Brother Yun, and it gives examples where he's in pr- Chinese prison being beaten, being questioned, right, to give up other people. And and he is just continues to tell them about Christ and and love them and not return evil for evil, but to bless those who persecuted him. And there's many examples where his torturers were converted. We should pray for that. Number five, we should remember the persecuted church by praying for protection and escape. We should pray that many of them would be protected and that they would even escape. I think of Peter in Acts 12, 
when he was in prison. It says that the believers were gathered together and they were praying for him. And an angel of the Lord came and escorted Peter out of jail. We should pray for things like that to happen. Don't you think? Are you with me? I think we should pray for that. I think of Paul as he escaped from the city. I mean, just because persecution is part of God's strategy doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't run for their lives if they can. That's what Paul did in Acts chapter 9. He heard the Jewish people wanted to kill him because he had converted to Christ and was now speaking in the synagogues about Jesus. And he heard about this, and so he was led out of the city wall at nighttime and escaped. I heard, heard a story that when Chinese Christians are trained for ministry, one thing they cover is how to get away. And it's really simple. The key is to run and not to stop. That, I, mean, that, that's, I mean, just, that's what this book said. Part of the training is, okay, if you get caught, you don't give up others, but you try your hardest not to get caught. And we should pray. I mean, I think of even, even this morning, right now, there are Christians in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Tunisia, in North Korea, and other places who are probably literally being chased. And we should pray that they get away. We should pray for their protection. Number six, we should remember by praying for courage, even in death, even in dying. You know the text, many of you anyways. Revelation twelve eleven. we sing a song that says these words, believers, the, the devil is like this. He's the accuser of the brothers. He accuses them night and day. He hates Christians. And it says, but believers overcome him. Demonic powers, the devil, they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto death. We should pray that Christians would be courageous even in dying, that they would love not their lives even unto death. In an archived article in World Magazine, I think from March of 2001, it was talking about the Armenian genocide where they were gathering up Christians and systematically putting them in prison, never to be seen again, or killing them. And it was, and it talked about these, um, the, the Turkish people lined up Armenian Christians and went down the line and asked them a simple question, do you worship Allah or Christ? And those who answered Christ got a sword thrust through their gut. At that moment, there better be something more valuable to you than life. An overcoming kind of faith that loves not your life even unto death and is banking on the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and the word of your testimony, the blood of, blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and Loving not our lives even unto death. For whatever reason, as I was reading that, I just imagined being like three people down and knowing it was coming to me. It's unlikely it will ever, it will ever happen here in this country. 
But I just had this imagination like, wow. Paul said this in Acts chapter 20. Um, he was going to Jerusalem. Some of the Christians warned him and said, don't go there. It's just going to be trouble for you. Here's what Paul said. I know that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await. And then he said this. This is powerful. But I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Two men named Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Uh, this, some of these things I'm getting are just in Fox's Book of Martyr. You could find them easily. Um, were burned at the stake under the reign of Mary of England, who was known as Bloody Mary for her reign of terror against Christians. Latimer, who was being engulfed in flames, said this to Ridley. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall not, never be put out. We need to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ that they would have that kind of courage, whether being burned at the stake or being shot or being thrown in prison and surely to be executed, that they would be courageous in dying. Number seven, remember by praying that Christians that Remember by praying for our brothers and sisters that their heavenly possession would be prized above earthly comforts and possessions. I know there's overlap in some of these. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 gives us a, a picture of what was happening with some of the Christians there. And just want to kind of just uh, unpack that just briefly. Some Christians were thrown in prison uh, because of their faith in Christ. And prisons back then, they're not like today. I don't want to make it sound like they're posh today or anything like that. But compared to back then, they certainly are. Christ, uh, back then, if you're in prison, you did not eat unless someone brought you food. So Christians were thrown in prison. And other Christians that knew them, they had a decision to make. Do I come out of the closet, so to speak, and... Let it be known that I'm a Christian because I'm going to take a meal to my friends or do I stay quiet? Well, there's only one thing to do. I mean, in truth, right? I'm not saying that we wouldn't struggle with that decision, but in truth, there's only one thing to do. And they did it. They brought something to them, a meal to them. And it says that in Hebrews 10, 34, that these people joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. It's like they went and brought a meal to their friends who were in prison. And in so doing, they were found out and their properties were being plundered. And they received it joyfully. And here's the kicker. Because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. As Christians are being persecuted, I think of family members asking, being, being forced or being coerced to give up other family members or other believers that they would prize their heavenly possession 
far above any earthly comfort and possession that they have. And number eight, remember by praying that Christ would be more precious, and specifically the love of Christ would be more precious than ever in the midst of persecution. I love Romans 8. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. Romans 8, 35 to 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No doubt some of these people that are being abused like this feel like they are sheep ready to be slaughtered. Verse 37 says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We should pray that Christ would be so real and so precious to these Christians as they're going through the most horrific nightmare imaginable. John Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, he ministered among a savage people. Um, they were, they, um, they didn't, there was no witness of Christ there whatsoever. He was the first man to go, to go in the early or mid-1800s to late-1800s. He ministered there. And they were cannibals, so they would kill their enemies and eat them. Uh, one particular time, um, he was being chased and hunted down by hundreds of them. They wanted to kill him. Listen to what he said. He said, I climbed into a tree and was left alone there in the night. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets, of guns, and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than that night. Alone, yet not alone. If thus thrown back on your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, he asks this question to you and I, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Richard Vermbrand, who started Voice of the Martyrs, um, he was a Romanian pastor and um, under communist Romania, and he was put in prison, I mean, I don't think it was all one stretch, but two or three times for a total of 14 years and tortured. You can get a free book, I think, still from Voice of the Martyrs called Tortured for Christ. And when he got out, he, was, he came over to the West and checked by a doctor, and they said he had holes all over his body, like just from the torture. He said this, um, in his book, In God's Underground, in the, in the preface of the book, the very beginning of it, he said this, the prison years did not seem too long for me. 14 years seems like a long time to me. For I discovered alone in my cell that beyond belief, there was a delight in God, a deep and extraordinary ecstasy of happiness that is like nothing in this world. That is insane. <laughs> but it's possible. And when I came out of jail, was like, uh, I was like someone who comes down from a mountaintop where he has seen for miles around the peace and beauty of the countryside and now returns to the plains. 
we should pray. Like Luke said earlier, Christ would be so beautiful, so prized, so experienced, so enjoyed. His love would be sweet and precious beyond measure to Christians who are going through horrific things. So what do we do? We pray. We remember by praying for the persecuted church, we remember intentionally. I don't know about you, but I forget. I forget to do things. So we need to remember. And maybe we need to remind each other. We remember intentionally. We remember deliberately as though with them bodily, as though we are with them. And then the other thing, which I didn't talk at all about, just want to in closing here for just a minute. We remember by taking courage from the persecuted church. We remember by taking courage from the persecuted church. As I was thinking about these things, I I became painfully aware of some things in my own life that are just out of proportion. The things I get bent out of shape about are crazy. So small, right? The fear of man that I struggle with is just ridiculous. It's there, but it's ridiculous. Listen to these verses in closing. Paul said this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire. I don't care what translation you look at, is translated the same way. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These verses make me uneasy. And I ask God, help me. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Man, I want life to be easy. Don't we all? He said, that way leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the way the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Enter by the narrow gate. We need to remember by taking courage from the persecuted church and taking up our cross every day and following Christ, whether we're driving in the car and we're just <clears throat> going to bear that cross and not give someone the bird or whatever or cuss underneath our breath. We're going to take up our cross and we're not going to 
grow bitter at that person who harmed us and abused us. We're going to take up our cross and we're going to talk to that person again who just seems disinterested in Christ. We're going to take up our cross and we're not going to complain that the car broke down or that we don't have as much money as somebody else or that we don't have that new toy that we really want. Enter by the narrow gate. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I hope my words came across as sober and not as haughty or proud at all because I have not arrived at this. I need your help as much and perhaps more than anyone else here to remember your people, our people. There are people around the world who are suffering terribly at the hands of persecutors. Remember to pray for them and do other things too that we might be able to do. And remember their lives and remember and take courage from their lives that we would not be grumblers, but joyful and courageous in our lives here. Lord, you have been, you have shown incredible light to this nation, to this country that we live in. And we as a nation, we've thumbed our nose at you. And it's not hard to see hard days coming here too. For many where it will cost us to publicly say certain things. And God, I pray that we would be courageous to do it and that we'd be courageous now in the very small ways we need to be courageous. Glorify your name, God, I pray. This morning, God, Comfort families around the world who are mourning the death of their dad or brother or uncle or grandpa or sister or mother. Comfort families deeply. And stir your church up, even hear us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name.